This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and we're going to start today with a three-part series looking at a moral revolution that's happening. The word revolution may be a little overstated in the sense that this is more like a moral erosion that has been happening for quite some time, but now is picking up steam. Imagine the moral shift in the Western modern world a little bit like a uh, kind of like a giant boulder that's beginning to roll down a hill. At first it goes slowly, but then it begins to pick up steam. What you're seeing is not so much a revolution that happened in an instant, but the picking up of the steam of a moral revolution that has begun been happening over multiple decades, if not centuries, but it's happening very quickly now. In the West, you see the shifting of foundational beliefs about how people are to live, what sexual ethics are to look like, all sorts of moral foundations that even a generation ago would have seemed unthinkable to be without are now being jettisoned in the West. And so I want to do a three-part series where we just take a look from a Christian perspective on why that is happening and what is so significant about it. In this first part, we're going to ask the question of where do the morals of a culture or civilization come from? And in particular, obviously we're thinking from a Western American standpoint, so I'm asking the question, where does what we believe about what right and wrong is in America come from? What are the foundations there? The second part in our next kind of part of this three-part podcast, we're going to look at one of the major factors behind the picking up of steam of this moral revolution in America, which is the disappearance of nominal Christianity, of name-only Christians. And then the final part, we're going to just take a look kind of forward to the future and just simply ask if this moral revolution is happening right now, and I think it is, um, what is faithfulness going to look like in the strange new world that we find ourselves inhabiting? So, Today, first, we need to lay some foundation. And in this podcast, I'm going to actually draw heavily on the work uh, of Glenn Shrivener. It's a recent book that he wrote, and I just want to commend this to you. I think it's one of the most interesting books I've read in quite a while. The book is titled The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality. And The Air We Breathe, to give you a quick fly over the book, the basic premise of the book is that the modern world takes for granted certain moral foundations and convictions that simply could not have gotten there without Christianity. And what Shrivener does is he actually picks up seven critical kind of moral convictions that the, it, almost everyone in America or in the West today would hold to be kind of self-evidently true. Things like equality, that people are um, equal in their essence and deserve to be treated with dignity and value. Compassion, um, consent, that you can't just force people to do what you want. Enlightenment, science, freedom, progress. These kind of distinct value sets in each of these foundational areas, what Schreibner does is he shows that without a Christian foundation, you wouldn't have any of these things, right? So, in equality, he writes, I'm just going to read a quote here to kind of describe this. 
what he says is, what you see happening is these seven values in the ancient world, a pre-modern world, or even, frankly, in a world that's just based off of naturalistic evolution, are profoundly weird values to hold. So he says this, consider the value of equality. Once, the world was ruled by steep moral hierarchies that were the norm. Now we want to root out inequality and help people to live freely and in a balanced way. Consider compassion. Once, pity for the undeserving in the Greco-Roman world was considered a great weakness. Now we consider compassion a great virtue. Consider consent. Once, powerful men could possess the bodies of whomever they pleased. But now, we would call that the abuse that it is. Think of enlightenment. Once education was the luxury held out for only rich men, now we consider it a necessity for all. Consider science. Once knowledge of the natural world was based on the assertion of authorities, but now we hold the powerful to account and we seek to test claims against objective standards. Consider freedom. Once it was assumed that certain classes of people could be enslaved, now we think of that kind of idea as a basic blasphemy. Consider progress. Once history was thought to be a descent from a golden age, but now we see the arc of history bending or should be bending toward justice. And his point is this, all of those weird values that we kind of in the Western modern world hold to be almost self-evidently true, all came to be because of the influence of Christianity. I'm just going to kind of dive in to only one of those values just to give the brief kind of unpacking of it here. Uh, I'm going to take the value of equality, that all lives are of equal value, that human life is worth something and is considered deeply valuable. That's kind of the idea of equality. You could perhaps take this too far in some senses in the Western world, but to say that we believe in the basic value of equality in the West seems almost unquestioned. However, that was definitely not always the case. If you were to go back into the foundations of, you know, uh, the for instance, the philosophy of Plato or of Socrates, they would have clearly said that lives were of unequal value. They would have said some men and some women, you know, are not as valuable as others. For instance, Greeks are more valuable than barbarians. Freed people are more valuable than slaves. The rich are more valuable than the poor. The wise are more valuable than the foolishness. In other words, they rejected entirely the notion of equality. And Shrivener not only points out that that was true historically, he also points out that in our modern origin story, if you take an author like, for instance, Yuval Noah Harari, who's written uh, the books like Sapiens, he's a noted kind of evolutionary naturalistic philosopher, and his argument is, I'm just going to read a quote here, by the way, that Shrivener uh, puts in his book from Harari. He writes it this way, he says, most legal systems in the world are based on the belief in human rights, but what are human rights? Human rights, like God in heaven, are just stories we've invented. They're not an objective reality. They're not a biological fact about Homo sapiens. If you take a human being, cut him open, look inside, you'll find a heart, kidneys, neurons, hormones, DNA, but you won't find rights. The only place you find rights is in the stories we have invented and spread over the last few centuries. They may be very positive stories, very good stories, but they are still just fictional stories that we have invented. That's the quote from Harari. So, 
here's the point. He, he's, he's drawing on science. He's saying, if you look at the narrative of science alone, you don't come up with the idea that individuals are in their essence all worth something and hold incredible dignity. Okay, so here, here's the point that, that Schreibner makes. He says, historically, so he gives Greco-Roman evidence of this in the philosophy of Plato, Socrates, and others, and then he even gives modern evidence in the writings of moralistic, atheistic, kind of natural evolutionary philosophers. He says, it's not, why would we necessarily assume we would come to this conclusion that all people are born with dignity and value? He says, that story that didn't just happen in the world. It's a product of Christian belief. The biblical story says that there's a God who says that everything is made in his, every person is made in his image and therefore very good. Okay? What that means is the blessings of heaven and earth flow through mankind made in God's image. And because people are made in God's image, they have distinct worth and value. So I'm going to read the quote kind of at the end of this chapter on equality from uh, Glenn Shrivener. He says this, Both men, ancient and modern, were correct in saying this, The God story and the equality story must stand or fall together. If we feel that life is sacred, that every human possesses an invaluable, inviolatable dignity and equality, and that no one deserves to be trampled down upon simply because they're smaller or weaker or poorer, then we are standing on particularly biblical foundations. That is the thread that runs from Genesis through the New Testament to our 21st century humanist convictions. In the coming chapters, we'll trace out the developments in more detail, but for now, we need to know that the thread is strong and it needs to be because the modern world hangs on it and it is built on Christian foundations. That's the basic premise of Glenn Schreibner's incredible book, The Air We Breathe, how we all came to believe in freedom, kindness, progress, and equality. And the whole point, I've just drawn out that one chapter on equality, is that all of these values that are kind of the foundational morals of the, that we have in the West came out of a Judeo-Christian historical system. So when we ask the question of where do values like right and wrong come from, while we, I don't know if it's particularly accurate to say that America is a Christian nation. It wasn't founded to be an explicitly religious nation, though the people who did find, found it were themselves explicitly religious. This is an important distinction to make. When we look back at the founders, while they may have had different you know, flavors to the way that they saw the world, you had the deist uh, Thomas Jefferson, who himself was clearly no fan of biblical Christianity. While they, you had Quakers and you know, some of the more unusual Christian denominations mixed into that, that lot, but what you did have at the founding of uh, the American kind of revolution— in the founding of our kind of writing of the Constitution of the Declaration of Independence, you had a moral consensus that was built on a Christian, a Judeo-Christian moral framework. That's not to say that every person there was a professing believer in Christ. That's not to say they were trying to make America into an explicit religious theocracy. They clearly were not trying to do that. They were not attempting that. However, They shared a common moral ground 
that they built everything on. They shared kind of a common set of moral lenses through which they viewed the world. And it's unquestionable that those moral lenses were definitively shaped by the values of Christianity. So while we can say, you know, in one sense, America was never meant to be a Christian nation in the sense that it was not meant to be a theocracy, we cannot say that Christianity has nothing to do with the weaving together of the moral foundations of America. To do that would be a denial of the basic facts of history. You can't pull the two apart from one another. So when we think about what we view as culturally right or culturally wrong, the point that we have is it doesn't just come out of nowhere. The moral foundations that we assume throughout America and throughout the West were imported from Christianity. If you look back to our founding documents, even think of the opening of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Self-evident to who, is my question. If, if you've read any Plato or Socrates, you would know the Greco-Roman philosophers certainly did not hold it self-evident that all men were created equal. That was not self-evident to all cultures everywhere. It's only self-evident if you're building on a foundation that says man is made in the image of God. It's not a self-evident truth if man is just a product of, for instance, survival of fittest and naturalistic evolution. Why would naturalistic evolution, the survival of the fittest, not the weakest, lead you to conclude that it is self-evidently true that people are created equal? You wouldn't think that. You'd say, well, it's self-evidently true that some people are more fit than others. You see, naturalistic evolution doesn't lead to holding their certain unalienable rights that are inherent in the person. That moral foundation has a straight line to the basic way of seeing the world that Christianity brought into being. Now, that is so incredibly important to realize because when we talk about the moral revolution that we're seeing today, this is part of the profound weakness of it. I'm going to go back to Shrivener's book and quote a little bit uh, further, he says, When we look at these values, equality, compassion, consent, enlightenment, science, freedom, progress, these are our modern creedal convictions, and by and large in the West, we are a society of believers. So thoroughly do we assent to these values that we rarely even notice how weird they are or how weird we are for holding them when viewed in the perspective of the history of the world. This is the key. But with these morals in place, we have found in the West that we can now discard institutional Christianity and yet carry on with the moralizing. In fact, the moralizing far from receding is coming even more to the fore. Okay, let's unpack that. We're finding we can discard institutional Christianity yet carry on with the moralizing. I described earlier cultural morality and the shift happening like a boulder that's coming down a hill. It feels like it's accelerating, right? But these foundational moral virtues take the virtue of equality, that people are made in God's image, they have value and dignity. Well, the momentum behind that boulder is really, really, really strong. So before, if you were to change the Greco-Roman perspective, well, that took so much work. You're pushing the boulder up the hill, right? 
But now in the West, the cultural moral boulder is now moving forward and has been for decades, for centuries now, that equality is a virtue. So now what's happening is increasingly that word of equality, which used to have to be tied directly to Christian foundations, is now assumed to be true. So what's happening is it's rolling forward, it's rolling forward, it's rolling forward, it's rolling forward. But here is the consequence we're beginning to see, and I'm just going to give one example of it. Shrivener points this out in his book. He says the problem here is we want to take the values of Christianity, the moral virtues of them, but we are lacking what is at the very heart of what Christianity has to offer, which isn't just a profound moral picture, but forgiveness, The world around us right now is increasingly an angry place. If you compromise the equality of someone, right, you'll find yourself blasted on the internet in a fit of rage. Cancel culture and social media have turbocharged our anger. It's it's interesting in the moral foundations when we live, the moral revolutionary world in which we live, It's actually angrier about people breaking moral judgments. The most judgmental people I've ever met in my life have been secular, very liberal people. It's interesting. I grew up in a very conservative religious uh, upbringing. I'm very thankful for a lot of the moral foundation and biblical foundation I had, but it it was a harsh, kind of judgmental sort of place at times. We looked down our noses on people who broke our sudden code of ethics, I grew very accustomed to the kind of judgmental critique, the withering glance of angry fundamentalist Christianity. That's what I grew up around. But boy, oh boy, a lot of what I see in the secular West feels far more fundamentalist, far more angry than anything I saw in my religious upbringing. Why? Because uh, Shrivener's not the original original aider of this phrase. It's, it's out there in no, numerous places, but what's happening in today's world is we're trying to get the kingdom without the king. We want the values and virtues of Christianity without the sacrifice of Christ. And what you have when you put the moral center of Christianity forward without the cross, oh, friends, it becomes judgmental and brittle and angry. Because at the heart of Christianity isn't simply a vision of equality for all people, but a vision of the sinfulness of all people. That all men not only are created good and beautiful in God's image, but that we're broken, that we need redemption. There's something so shattered in us by the sin curse that only the forgiveness of Jesus could make it right. When you divorce the moral foundations of Christianity from the forgiveness of Christ, what you end up with is a world with toxic morality a world of what others have called semi-Christianity. Just enough Christianity to, to have the virtues, the vision, the moral compass at the center, but having dethroned the person of Christ. But the problem with that, I'm going to quote from Shrivener here. This is one of the most powerful quotes in this whole book. He writes, In order to pursue the kingdom without the king, we had to dethrone the person of Christ and install abstract values, rules to rule us instead. The problem should be obvious. Persons can forgive you, but values can't. Values can only judge you. Hence, we have a world filled with angry judgment, but with little redemption, little forgiveness. 
So this is part one of our series on moral revolution. We're just looking at the question of where does cultural morality come from? I'm not trying to answer this in the widest way possible. I simply want to make an observation that much of the moral framework that we have to assume is true in the West could not have been put in place without the foundations that were imported from Judeo-Christianity. They are essential to the makeup morally of what we see. So now, as we look around and we begin to see those foundations shifting and that morality eroding, why is that happening? Where is that shift coming from? And what's it going to look like to be faithful as we move forward? Well, more on that in parts two and three of this series on moral revolution. Moral revolution.